0: Day. I'm here. Alder Rummel? Present. Alder Revere? Here. Alder Wood? Here. Mayor
1: Sutherland? Here. We are assembled in session. We have two registrations. Uh, the first one is Paul Maleski. I don't know, if it says wishing to speak. I'm not sure which item.
2: My name is Paul Molishki and I'm talking about funding for early voting for 2017. The early voting now underway has been very popular, but I don't believe that the current staffing model is sustainable for next year. I, I suspect that the current budget process started before we even knew that multiple sites would be possible and therefore may not have considered it. Currently, a lot of the workload is being undertaken by volunteers. There are 62 volunteer slots to be filled every weekday, and a lesser number on Saturdays and Sundays. Most shifts are three hours long. Some volunteers are giving extraordinary efforts in this extraordinary circumstance, but for next year, I hope you will consider adding money for hourly workers. To begin the conversation, I put together a proposal, but it does need some polishing, and fine-tuning. The goal should be to have a majority of early voting done by reliable, meticulous workers who are familiar with election procedures, including registration. Paying people, such as chief inspectors who work on Election Day, would be the best way to achieve accuracy and consistency. So the suggestion I outlined in in my handout calls for about $8,000 for the February election and about $16,000 for the April election, for a total of $24,000. I think the April election has the greatest potential for early voting to make a difference in voter turnout. So I hope you'll consider this. Thanks for your time and attention.
1: Thank you. Any questions? Thank you very much. Uh, we have a registration from Kathleen Fullin, uh supporting and opposing, wishing to speak.
3: Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you this afternoon. The League of Women Voters of Dane County is speaking about the city clerk's budget. This summer, at the trial concerning voting restrictions, we heard Mary Beth Witzel Bale testify that in order to keep her overtime costs down, she personally works until 3 a.m. in the weeks immediately preceding elections. And recently, those of us who are voter education ambassadors or in person absentee voting volunteers have been receiving emails from Mary Beth at 10 30 and 11 at night. The League wrote Mayor Soglin to request that his 2017 budget address the staffing needs of the city clerk's office because it is important that Mary Beth remain healthy so she can continue to provide this extraordinary level of service to voters we all recognize as exceptionally valuable. We are glad to see that the mayor added an additional staff person, and we hope that helps reduce the clerk's personal workload. However, we have remaining concerns based on the document Mary Beth submitted to the Finance Department, in which she explains the cuts she made in order to stay at the budget target she was given. One, in order to keep overtime costs to budgeted levels, she would personally staff all council meetings. We ask the Board of Estimates to recommend an overtime budget for the clerk's office that is adequate to allow a reasonable workload for the clerk herself. Two, Polling places would be staffed at the reduced levels that were appropriate before voter ID was in place. We asked the Board of Estimates to explore what the ramifications would be for staffing polling places for the February and April elections at levels that do not include the staff required to accommodate voter photo ID checking. One study conducted with the help of Ken Mayer, political science professor at the UW-Madison, suggested that the length of the waiting time for voters in line is extremely sensitive to very small changes in the amount of time it takes to check in and receive a ballot. Three, $7,500 would be saved by elimination of handouts at trainings for election officials. Election officials use the handouts at training sessions to take notes on the training. They bring the handouts with them to the polling places. There are many different aspects to working at the polls, and some of the tasks are fairly complex. For instance, some officials are not experienced at registering voters. With early voting, processing and remaking absentee ballots will require more attention by election officials. While the materials could be made available online, and some of us would surely access them and print them out to take with us to trainings and our work sites, that is not a realistic goal for all election officials. Mary Beth has made a concerted attempt to recruit a very diverse set of election officials, and they do not all have easy access to the web and to printing documents at home. This $7,500 savings would have an outsized negative impact. We ask the Board of Estimates to restore the $7,500. And sadly, lastly, election supplies damaged, lost, or used at the polls would not be replaced, eliminating the very popular I voted stickers and causing minor issues for poll workers.
1: Uh, please go on. I think.
3: Okay, I just, I just, I'm almost done. Surely items are going to be lost, damaged, and used up, including pens, tape, election official name tags, and th- things like that. I know that at the polling place where I work... In a building with subsidized units for low-income and disabled persons, many voters are proud to take an I Voted sticker. It helps people feel connected to our society, to our government, and to our democracy, and it reminds their friends and neighbors to vote also. We do not believe that the savings would outweigh the value of polling place supplies. I have copies that I can give to the staff person.
1: Thank you. Any questions? If not, thank you very much. At this point, we'll go to our agenda. I believe that the municipal... Is first
4: good afternoon I'm gonna try the method that she told me hopefully it'll
5: work uh, improve um,
6: <laughs> uh,
5: thanks the analysts don't have to control it
4: themselves oh thank you so just click this one all right Okay, so um, our mission and our goals are pretty much related to each other. Obviously, a lot of them are are pretty obvious, especially the first one, which is to provide an impartial forum for hearing cases. Um, Secondly, and very importantly, to use restorative justice practices and programs to address any cases that we deal with and to continue to use the types of programs such as the juvenile diversion program, the truancy court in the schools, and the homeless court project that we've been working on. And then thirdly, to um, through the use of restorative practices, to reduce the number of repeat offenders and reduce the disproportionate minority impacts that we see in the, in the justice system. Okay, I just have to roll. I, I think I got to the next one. Okay, thank you. Um, as far as staff, it's the same staff. We don't anticipate adding um, or losing any staff from what we have currently. And then the budget highlights. There was um, a previous uh, grant that we use to to cover a lot of the services for juvenile programs. However, we have, through um, a state grant that works with the juvenile diversion program that we have, they have a grant through the the State Department of Justice called the Brighter Futures Grant, and that grant covers a lot of the services uh, that we used to have to fund ourselves and that grant will be in effect again for 2017, and then there's a chance for it to be renewed for three more years after that. So we're not reducing any of the services, it's just that there's been a grant to cover some of those services. And then again, moving to the goals, which we've already kind of talked about earlier. Um, one of the things that we want to continue to work on is the partnerships that we have with a lot of great agencies such as Patch, Central Ospano, the YWCA, Time Bank, the UW, and the school district. With all those partnerships that we have, it really helps uh, a lot of the goals that we're trying to accomplish with restorative justice practices um, come to fruition. So um, I think that is the end, unless you have any questions you'd like to ask me.
1: Questions of the judge? If not, I've got one myself. Um, We've been reviewing the county uh, report on juvenile arrests over the last several years and how the numbers have changed. And what we see in terms of uh, the raw numbers is that there's an incredible drop In the number of arrests of African-American youth, there's a drop not nearly as great in terms of raw numbers of white youth. But what has happened is that uh, because of the already existing disparity, the disparity has actually grown, I think 54% to 72%. Now, it raises an interesting question. Would we want to go backwards where we had less disparity and literally thousands of more arrests uh, or do we want to go forward to keep up with hopefully the reduction in arrests which means a, a better, safer environment for everyone and a better opportunity for the kids. So we're going to be looking and examining these, these raw numbers in the coming weeks. we've we've already started some discussion about it. My question is with all the grants and all the partners that you've described, uh, are we expending any funds? Are we working on any programs designed to uh, address this very complicated case uh, situation with these big drop in numbers? But We're not solving the disparity part of it.
4: Well, I think that the the juvenile diversion program is um, a program that is working on that. And just for people who aren't aware of it, it's a program um, that's funded through that state grant that I mentioned previously, and it applies to all municipal ordinance violations issued to juveniles, which would be 16 and under. And as part of that program, if someone gets arrested for what could be a retail theft, disorderly conduct, whatever the ordinance violation might be, they have an option to opt into the restorative justice program. If they do opt into that program, then the the case is never filed with the court, so there's no statistic of them ever being arrested or being in the system. And then if they participate in it, they get the necessary services that we're talking about here, be it any kind of counseling, job training, whatever the need may be, and we just started that program. It was with the police department, the YWCA last September, and the initial data that we've gotten back on that has been very positive. We're seeing a lot less repeat offenders. Um, we're seeing a lot of the, the persons of color not getting. Tickets coming into court like they were previously. So, some of those figures that you were talking about, Mayor, might reflect countywide because this program is a, it was a kind of a pilot that's applied only to the city of Madison cases. Uh, I think the goal is they want to expand it to the other, other communities in the is county. The data
1: being kept separate so we can track? Yes, it's, they are
4: keeping the data separate, and it's also required as part of the grant that they have to do a detailed report on that. So I anticipate within the next few months that they will be coming out with a report since it's been a little over a year since they started that program.
1: Thank you. Sure. Further questions? Alderman McKenna. Um,
6: not a, a question, but uh, really a accommodation, because I've um, been a part of that process with the restorative justice court, uh, specifically the uh, restorative justice court that's in the community. And I know that initially we didn't have the data to there was short term data because it was a pilot, but now as a whole you're functioning and I believe that when that data is released, you will absolutely see the reduction right. in um, the issuance of uh, of tickets, not only because they've been tracking it, tickets issued to black and brown youth, and then tickets. Issue to white youth. And so that diversion process is working. Your partners have been phenomenal in working together. But I really want to commend you because um, even if they slip through the cracks and they end up at your court, you send them back through to us. And so I wanted to, to to read that in the record to know that when we're looking about how we can reduce these these disparities and how we can reach youth, that this is one of the programs that absolutely is working. And so I thank you. I agree. Very thank much you. Thank you for the kind,
5: kind words. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Further questions? Alderman thank you. <laughs> Welcome. We always look forward to your annual appearance Right. The first quick question I had for you is: uh, Is your caseload remaining steady over the last few years? Because I noticed Um, well, we talked
4: about um, in 2014 there was a great drop off in the number of cases. In 2015, that um, kind of bounced back, and this year it's it's higher than it was in 2014, but a little lower year to date than it was last year, as far as the case numbers that were filed.
5: So, is the is the figure that's um, in the budget narrative of thirty eight thousand cases per year accurate?
4: It could. It's probably not as accurate now. It probably would have to go down from that. Yeah, I think that's a little. Um, that was from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I noticed
5: that it's the same language we've used for the last several right,
4: years. Right. Right. And a lot of it is because of. The, the juvenile diversion program that we just talked about because if those cases aren't getting filed, you're obviously not going to have those numbers, which is a good thing. So having the case numbers go down is, is not necessarily is a good thing for, for especially the juveniles. And um, so I think that, that also reflects some of the reason why the numbers are lower is because of that program.
5: What's what's What would you say is a more accurate figure? Out of curiosity? Is I
4: would say it's and probably it? around 30000
5: thousand. Thirty, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that might go into um, the segue to my next question. In terms of the court costs that you provide that funds, you know, your operation, as we all know, and then, and then additional funds for us on page... 207 of our budget books under revenue, I don't know if you have that in front of you or not I was curious do you, do you know where the the estimated court fee revenue where that figure comes from are you talking about
4: the general fund revenues always? yeah
5: I'm, I'm looking at the bottom of page 207 revenue court fees
4: because I don't have the same page oh, you different order, things, so I sorry. what you're, you're specifically referring the, to it's the
5: page that has supplies, purchase services okay NRD the charges revenue on it
4: okay and what I've got that you from my court. That. yeah
5: so my question was just to educate us where it says court fees and then the, the executive budget provides for this not round figure of 600 um, and fifty nine thousand five hundred nineteen dollars. Can you explain what that is? So uh, for each,
4: each court case that's filed, there is a $38 court cost fee associated with it. So these fees that are reflected on that page you referred to are those $38 in court cost fees that we collect from the cases that are ultimately filed with the court. So that's where that figure comes from. It's from those court cost fees for each case.
5: And those are the court costs? Only that we can retain and not the ones that you're required to remit to the state. Right. Those the
4: ones that are reflected in the budget are is the the amount that we retain for the court. They don't these that doesn't include the funds that we have to send out to the state. There's various assessments like the jail assessment, drug and crime lab fee, things like that. A twenty six percent penalty assessment that goes to the state as well.
5: Okay. And then we haven't talked about our general fund revenue yet. We're probably going to end up doing that, who knows at what hour, tomorrow night. But as you might have noticed, the next year's budget anticipates that the general fund revenue from moving violations and uniform citations, and I know I asked you about this most years, so you might have been prepared and looked at that already, uh, remains flat and parking violations, which I know you only see a small fraction of, whereas I contest those. Is scheduled to go down for you know because of our equipment changes and so forth. But so my question to you is, what trends are you seeing in court now that we have the two shifts of the the, um, traffic enforcement safety team that have been operating and so forth? Do you do you believe that 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 these the flat funding and revenue is consistent with your anecdotal observations in court day in and day out?
4: Yeah, I think it is consistent with that. I, I think it it kind of depends on when they get their state grants. A lot of those traffic enforcement safety team projects are based upon grants. So some of it depends on when they have a grant to do that type of enforcement. And then there's other things that come up from time to time where they're not always doing as much traffic enforcement because of other things they have. So it's, it's kind of hard. I, I don't anticipate that it's going to, I think it's going to pretty much stay at the same level as, it, as it's been for the last few years. Is my my guess.
5: Uh, the last thing I'll ask you is uh, about your um, software that that you and your judicial clerks use. Has that new system been implemented that we talked about last year yet? And provided funding for? And I know that our IT director is here and all could speak to it as well, but. Can you just give us an update. Sure, on I that, can give you I know an, you're an update. Using a very so um, antiquated system for We've
4: been yeah, it has been and we're moving to um, a, a program which is called TIPT. It's it's a program that a lot of municipal courts use around the state and the clerks all love it. It's very uh, very um, it's rave reviews, and um, right now Christie's Amber, the lead clerk, has been working with people in Paul's office and working through all those those details, and with the city attorney, to um, draft a contract for it. So it has been moving along, but it's a pretty big project. You're talking about transferring a lot of court records and data into this system, and then implementing the system. So um, things have been moving along at a good pace, though. But it is it's it's not there yet. We're not we don't have have the system yet?
5: So it likely, it would be implemented till next year at this point.
4: Probably or? late next
5: year. Oh, really? Late next yeah, year. Yeah,
4: that's what I'm, I'm hearing.
5: Well, I'm surprised it takes so long. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Especially if it's not something that we're customizing. Right. Well, they site. have to do
4: a lot of things to to put our old system and and the data transfer is a lot of it as well.
5: I see. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure, thank appreciate you. it.
1: Further questions? None. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. City Assessor. Good afternoon.
7: Hi. The 2017 operating budget for the Assessor's Office is pretty much a cost to continue budget. Uh, We follow our, our usual mission, which is to discover all the taxable property that's out there. Uh, and, which includes real estate and personal property, and uh, make sure we have good records of uh, what we're assessing and have uh, a good accurate value on all, all the property that is, that is taxable so we have equitable assessments. We have just one service line and uh, no changes in our, uh, in our staffing from 2016. Uh, one thing that we do have in here, other than the the normal adjustments that you see there, increases in salaries, fringe benefits, and so forth, is um, fifty thousand for contractual services, uh, primarily focused on the uh, commercial property in the city. You know, since uh, since the economy's picked up again, we've had an awful lot of commercial new construction, and um, with with the way that uh, Sales of commercial properties become more and more hidden from us. It takes more and more time to research what values really are. And so, this might be used for consulting. It might be used for someone to do some, some appraisals for us in, in, uh, for complex properties. Uh, possibly even going towards another, another position at some point in time. Uh, just feel like our, our commercial assessments are, could be, could be better. They could be up up to a better, higher percentage of full market value, and so that's what that money is, uh, is targeted for. So uh, as I just mentioned, it does include that, that uh, $50,000 for uh, analyzing the, the real estate market. And then uh, to meet our, our requirements, we also cut 66000 which was supposed to be for the start of uh, maintenance for our new assessment system, our CAMA system. Uh, that would not be starting now until 2018 instead of 2017. Uh, some of our goals uh, to get our new camera system in place—it's been—it's uh, been a long process. We continue to work on that. We hope to still go live yet this year. If not, it'll be probably early in 2017. And then uh, related to what I mentioned earlier, the uh, goal number two and, and three are taking a look at our commercial values more in depth and to get better uniformity there and then uh, looking at our land values citywide with all the development that's been going on we're seeing land values changing quite dramatically and so I want to get a handle on that so those will be our priorities uh, for this coming year
1: Thank you Questions Questions
8: Thank you. Just a couple questions. So, on the points that you noted, the new maintenance isn't until 2018. That's essentially because the system isn't going to be operational until 2017. Is that correct?
7: Correct. And the maintenance starts the year after it goes live. Right.
8: Right. Thank you. So, back to the commercial property, you mentioned that it's kind of unclear yet exactly what you want to use that $50,000 for. Um, Do you expect that you actually are going to be able to expend it and have that plan in 2017, or are you still in the process of developing what you – I mean, when you refer to a position, it sounds like perhaps this is a bigger undertaking of work and perhaps may take some time to determine what actually the best solution is. So I guess my question is, what is the realistic feasibility of you – knowing how you want to expend and spending that 50000 in the next year, or might it be a bigger process that might be a position?
7: In the yeah, I'd say it could take a, take a few months to determine that. I have a, a new supervisor in the commercial staff, and so she's just getting acclimated to you know, finding out what resources we really need. And so, I mean, it might be – I mean, I'd like to have the option, if, if we find that we really need a new position, that we'd have that option. But it might be other. There might be other solutions out there uh, to get the research done that that we feel we need to do. Okay.
9: Thank you.
1: Other questions? Here.
5: Thank you. I I appreciate you um, talking about goal number two, Mark, and and the fifty thousand um, dollar for for outside services to help with commercial property revaluation. I I what I'm struggling with is where. You use the phrase "develop a plan for annual review of commercial properties." Don't doesn't your staff already annually review every commercial property? We
7: do. What, what that statement means is, um, you know, determining from year to year which which specific properties we want to to revalue, whether it's hotels or multifamily, or usually what you want to do is you want to take a look at any segment that's maybe. You're not sure of, where you haven't had good sales to gauge the market by, and do a more detailed study. We do the same thing in residential by neighborhoods when we don't have many sales or we just see a lot of changes going on. So it's we are we are reviewing every property every year, but it's it's more on a mass basis where we apply a trend, an economic That's trend. Right. But this is more more detailed,
5: so you don't have the resources to say to hotel operator X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see your books, in essence, to get an
7: understanding of what value you have. That's that's one of the problems. Is we don't we don't
5: have the right to see their books unless they appeal. I notice, and as elected officials, we've always stayed clearly far away from the assessment process. Always have, always will. So I've never asked about any particular um, property parcel, uh, and I hesitate to give you examples now. But I will admit that I, out of curiosity, review every agenda of the Board of Assessors and Board of Review. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this week, I won't name it, but we can all easily look it up. There's a major, relatively new downtown development in the 4th Aldermanic District that's the only agenda item mm-hmm. on the Board of Assessors agenda this week. And your assessor's recommended value was several millions of dollars above what, upon... You know, appeal. I guess I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Now the assessor is recommending to the board of assessors several millions of dollars less in in uh, in, in value. So, so that's an example of where the property owner has said these are our books, and the assessor agrees with the information right. and is recommending a, a quite significant decrease in value. Yeah, what what
7: often happens is we'll go off a cost basis initially when a property is comes comes in new newly constructed, and sometimes you find that the eventual income that it generates doesn't support that value, and so when we when we switch to the income and expense method of valuation, we can see a change
5: like that. You're required by statute to use that
7: method. Well, we're required to consider all methods, but you need, you need to put your most weight on, on one method typically. And if it's an income-producing property,
5: you would typically do that. So, again, I don't mean to ask you to repeat what you're saying. So this $50,000 initiative that's proposed in the executive budget, how will, what will that exec- more concretely do differently for your staff than they're able to do now?
7: Well, a lot of it is research. It's with trends. Yeah, a lot lot of it is is, is just research. Um, A lot of commercial sales are LLCs to LLCs, and that takes a lot more digging to get that information to find out what the actual sale price was because they don't file real estate transfer returns. That's one issue we have. Um, (coughs) Others is just uh, probably some of that will be maybe maybe to have a, a consultant, Come in and show us the best way to do an appraisal on a certain type of property that we may be having difficulty with. So we get a, a method in place that we're comfortable with. Okay. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Additional questions? If not, oh, hold on.
9: Just an educational for me question. <clears throat> Your last comment about the uh, LLC to LLC sales. Are there, are we as a city or a state government, can anybody make changes to that real estate transfer returns? I mean, are we forbidden to look at that or is that in somebody else's jurisdiction?
7: Well, that's, that's under state law. I mean, there's certain requirements on who has to file a real estate transfer return, and right now they're exempt from that. We have tried, through my uh, assessor's organization, we tried to push legislation about 10 years ago, and it was not successful. And we tried to push it again about two years ago, and we're told, "Don't even bother under the current uh, political climate; it won't go anywhere." So um, we we try. It's still an issue. It gets talked about. It gets brought up
1: every now and then. But so far, it hasn't. Nothing's changed with it. Thank you. Other questions? Seeing none. Thank you very much. Yep. Attorney. City Attorney's Office.
10: Good evening, um, go through the presentation here, Does it go by, no, how do I advance it,
11: left click, Let's hit the left click.
10: thank you, uh, agency mission and services is unchanged from last year, our major mission is to provide uh, professional legal representation to the city of Madison as an entity. Um, including services to its uh, boards, officers, and employees. And we break our services into three groups. Uh, The first is ordinance enforcement, which is our work in municipal court uh, prosecuting ordinance violations. uh, Includes working closely with the municipal court on some of their diversion uh, programs. Second is our legislative council services. This is the ordinance drafting that we do and the maintenance of the uh, Madison General Ordinances, Code of Ordinances that... uh, that we keep up for you, and the largest uh, area is general counsel services, advice and representation to the city and all of its officers and employees. If you look at the uh, funds for this, you can see again that uh, that council and representation is the largest amount. That's about 65% of our budget. Uh, legislative services is the smallest amount, uh, a little less, uh, a little less than 10%, around 8%. And ordinance enforcement a little more than a quarter of our budget. Uh, no change in authorized positions from uh, prior year to next year's budget. And in fact, other than increases in salaries, there's no real change uh, in the budget. Uh, there is a decrease in purchase services, but that money actually shows up in other wages. It got moved from uh, those funds we had allocated for work study, and we found that we just haven't been finding work study students for the last several years. We end up moving it over there at the end of the year every year, so we thought we'd move it there now just to solve that problem. Uh, but otherwise, no major changes in uh, <coughs> in the funding. In terms of the highlights, again, maintenance of effort budget, that was our plan. That's what we're trying to do. We did ask for funds for the uh, upgrade of Munico. was not included in the executive budget. <coughs> um so there isn't too much new here. Uh, again, our goal is legal services to the city, maintain and improve current legal, level of legal services, no reduction in personnel. We are not asking for an increase in training budget. We've looked at that, those numbers. We had an increase a couple of years ago, and we want to see how that works out for a few more years before we uh, do anything more. Uh, we had uh, requested, uh, I think the last couple of budgets, funds for an upgrade of our online MGO, which is called Municode. Um, we did quite a bit of work with the company that provides it and uh, had a quote of about 25000 annual cost to do the upgrade. That's not included in the budget. And our third goal, um, increase office uh, involvement in RESJI efforts, and we've been working on that steadily this year and we will continue to do it uh, next year. Um, we've tried applying the equity lens to one ordinance. We're going to look at others I think I'd say that the first time there was a mixed result, and I think we need to look carefully at how and when we uh, apply that lens. So that's a quick summary of what we have here, and I'd
1: be happy to answer questions. Alderman Revere.
5: Thank you. To confirm, Mike, that you have sufficient funds in the executive budget for proposed for next year for the current amount of law clerks you currently Yes. You just haven't been successful in finding any work-study law clerks.
10: That's correct. And so the, the, we'll have the same amount of funds. We'll have the same number of law clerks, including the prosecution intern. Um, we just moved it from a fund that we basically have been moving it from for the last few years anyways, do it at the start of the budget. And if it turns out later we find out that there are a lot of students with work-study eligibility who want to come in, we can probably move it back or something. But we've just found every year that that hasn't been the case.
5: And thank you for reminding us of your muni code improvement needs. Since supplemental requests weren't formally allowed this year, we don't have a list of those. But I did see last year for the muni code upgrade you had proposed a $49,000 expenditure. Can you explain how you were able to get the vendor to come off the $49,000?
10: Well, we told them we couldn't afford that. (laughs) And we just worked with them and we uh, took out, you know, they offered you basically a package of all these things. And we went through and said we need this, we need this, we don't need this, and worked with them. And they were willing to. They brought it down to a twenty-five thousand dollar figure. And
5: that would be an annual cost.
10: Annual cost, yes. Yeah. I do have a. I do have a list of some of the upgrades if people want to look at that in terms of what we would get for that. Um, if you want me to hand that out, but
5: if you have copies, sure. I do. And then there was a a survey that your office put out that uh, earlier this year that I responded to, as to users. Experience with the existing Unicode functionality—I gave it poor reviews, frankly myself. When I responded to the survey, <laughs> did that go to the entire City Council that survey?
10: I, yeah. uh, the survey? Yeah. Yes, I'm sure it did. The, yeah, have I? Did we send out the results of that? If, no, I Oh, know it's not. not be, I'll be happy to do that. Yeah, the results general, you encouraged you us. The, the results were. The results encouraged <laughs> us to upgrade the system. Is what
11: I'd say. <laughs>
5: that
11: was very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly more diplomatic than my response to this. Right? And the existing
5: the existing <laughs> vendor is you think is a way to go if we wish to pursue an upgrade as opposed to looking for other vendors.
10: There's there's essentially only two vendors that do this. We looked a little bit at the other one, American Legal Publishing. I think is the name of it. Um, didn't think that we would get as good a service and did some inquiry with them, didn't go through the full, you know, comparison of, of quotes. But we think from what we've seen in other um, municipalities that use it, a, a good version of Unicode is a very good product. Um, and so that's why we're at least suggesting that we just look at upgrading that. Um, if if after a few years we want to, you know, open it up for bids again, we could certainly do that. Thank you.
1: Um, I'll uh, Go ahead.
6: Thank you. Um, uh, You mentioned when you were giving your report on the RSJI mixed results. What did you mean? That's my first question. What do you mean mixed results? Could you say a little bit more about Um, what that meant?
10: Yeah. This was on an ordinance on um, uh, standing in a median, and uh, we spent a lot of time working on it, Uh, to put together the report that I think is with the ordinance as it's going uh, through the committees. Um, I think uh, by mixed results, I think it was that there was either some misunderstanding of what the tool was for and what it was to be used for, and also we found it sort of difficult to apply the tool to the question of an adoption of an ordinance, which is such a a mixed policy and other kinds of questions that um, I at least want to look, closely at when we decide to use that. I think there are some potential ordinance changes where that may be useful and some where it's going to be a lot of work without much shedding much light on an, on an issue.
6: And um, my second question is, um, did you give us an update on where um, having alders as chief inspectors? And I thought about that because of the uh, very detailed um, uh, Reading by the uh, the League of Women Voters. Thank you very much. This is very detailed, and I absolutely support what you read. So I'm wondering where we are in that.
10: The last I recall, we were still barred by the state laws that define where elected officials can work on elections and that you are essentially limited to working outside the municipality. I haven't looked at that, if that's changed or anything. That's my recollection of the last state of our uh, review of it, which is different than what we have allowed in the city for a number of years. Um, uh, but that was when we got the uh, legal analysis by the League of Municipalities and we looked at it and examined the cases behind it. We thought they were correct on that, and that would require a change in state law. I know we talked to Mr. Zavos about possibly trying to put that forward, but I don't think it, it um, uh, went anywhere during the last legislative
6: session. So I know that that's out of our, out of our, our ball court, um, but is that something that... Um, we can encourage or you can, can check on it to see what's the next stage, what we can do or how we can advocate?
10: I, I can certainly look at it again in terms of either approaching the state legislature okay. or even working on setting up a program. And you, you could do maybe do an exchange with some of the other cities around the area and you could go work in Fitchburg and have somebody from there come in and work in Madison to increase the number of, of people who are actually
1: working at the polls. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions? Thank you very much. Civil rights?
12: Good evening. Good evening.
5: Evening. Welcome to your first budget, Marv.
12: Thank you very much. (laughs) Pleased to be here. So, I'm happy to uh, present the Department of Civil Rights 2017 operating budget uh, for the Board of Estimates. As you'll see in the slides, our mission uh, is to provide management, coordination of affirmative action, disability rights, equal opportunity policies, and racial equity and social justice initiatives. And uh, we really do this through um, this four pronged approach, um, utilizing uh, equity. Um, utilizing uh, equal opportunity, uh, disability rights, and affirmative action. <clears throat> we also promote the equality and prevention of elim- and elimination of discrimination through education and enforcement. So we have a real focus, <clears throat> you'll see in the 2017 budget, on the education portion. Um, We uh, are, to a certain degree, a regulatory agency, but we believe that uh, more emphasis on education, more emphasis on training, can uh, help to produce better results citywide. And uh, finally, we strive to improve the quality of life for all individuals through oversight of affirmative action, equal opportunities, disability rights, laws, programs, and RESJI. In addition to the city staff that we have, we also... um, Uh, have the benefit of various commissions and committees uh, that are committed to the work of civil rights, uh, various staff teams uh, that uh, contribute uh, their work time uh, to advancing uh, RESJI and other civil rights initiatives. And we also have the benefit of uh, intergovernmental partnerships and affiliate groups uh, that we work with on a regular basis. Uh, So you'll see that the budget by service uh, is really Uh, cost to continue and uh, we have the same authorized positions going into 2017 as we do for 2016. Uh, The changes uh, really are uh, not many. Uh, The primary change that we have uh, is the transfer of uh, $20,000 for uh, the Racial Equity and Social Justice Initiative um, to the budget. Uh, to the civil rights budget, and the other um, small increases are uh, staff salary increases. Uh, For the budget highlights, um, again, just to highlight the fact that $20,000 was transferred to the uh, civil rights uh, budget uh, for racial equity and social justice initiatives. Uh, And I'll also just point out that um, uh, we did... Uh, Provide the uh, supplemental request for uh, the law-based technology software that was not included in the budget. Uh, The cost of that was approximately $68,000 to acquire and $5,000 annually. So our agency goals, uh, our primary goal, um, being to develop uh, uniform uh, contract and case management um, standards citywide and increase efficiencies in contracting and investigative processes. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, we have a staff of uh, 16 individuals, um, and uh, we really rely on technology to assist us in doing our work. Um, So uh, we're really looking to – we're working already with uh, information technology to replace a number of antiquated systems, Uh, And not only systems that are uh, housed in our department, but systems that are used across uh, other agencies so that we can uh, not only upgrade the technology, but also upgrade the processes so we create more efficiencies uh, in the work that we do. Um, Goal number two, uh, we've revised uh, actually this slide. Uh, We had a a late revision to this slide. But essentially for goal number two, and I'll read it for you and we can provide it to you uh, after the meeting. Uh, But for goal number two, uh, we're not uh, proposing an additional uh, full-time position. Um, We believe that we can uh, make these connections to civil rights resources uh, with the existing staff that we have. Uh, So I'll read the description for you. Uh, It's to establish civil rights as a primary resource for city agencies and the community. Through agency partnerships and community engagement, we will improve the integration of RESJI, expand non-discrimination education and training, maximize access to city facilities, and increase diversity among applicants hired. Our 2017 planned initiatives include utilizing inclusive stakeholder comments, to create and implement a five-year strategic plan for the department in order to maximize access to civil rights services. Uh, so we're taking a view of the comments that we've received from our stakeholders and from the community uh, over the last few years to really focus on the goals that we want to accomplish over the next five years. Uh, we're creating a process uh, to ensure that uh, that those goals are met. Goal number three is ensuring the meaningful access to city facilities and programs for limited English proficient individuals. we'll be identifying cost-effective strategies to provide language services to individuals with limited English proficiency. And we will also um, uh, be undertaking uh, the process of developing a language assistance plan uh, by the summer of 2017. Uh, It's notable that this is a very high priority for us uh, and the demand um, historically has outstripped um, the resources that we, have, uh, that we have been afforded to the extent of about $10,000 per year. So, those are our goals, and I'm happy to take questions at this time.
1: Hold on, Thanks.
8: Norm, um, can you say a little bit more about the supplemental request and what it means to defer that investment? the technology?
12: So um, the system that we currently use for tracking our um, cases that we perform for the uh, Federal uh, uh, Equal Employment Opportunities Commission uh, is uh, decades old. Um, And the system is, uh, in fact, um, very difficult to use and navigate even for staff that use it uh, on a daily basis. Um, the law-based technology would allow us to um, coordinate all of the cases that we um, uh, see uh, annually, and it will allow us to communicate with the complainants and the respondents, um, uh, a task that now is um, uh, occupies uh, one position uh, in order to uh, develop all of the correspondence uh, to uh, schedule um, the different hearings. Uh, and so this, this technology would be uh, a great benefit, not only to our Equal Opportunities Division, but it has applicability to disability rights, it has dis- uh, applicability to affirmative action for our own um, uh, discrimination cases. Uh, and it also has uh, applicability to our contract compliance.
13: Okay.
8: One follow-up. Um, so is it essentially like a – and I, like, don't really know technology. It's just play that I do in consultant world. Um a <laughs> consultant. Yeah, right. Um, but is that, like, a, basically like a customer resource tracking system, or is it more than that? Because I'm trying to think, like, all right, would this actually – you're saying you've got currently an FTE that's managing that. Would this have the capability to replace that, or is it, you know, what level of functionality would that really provide, and would it be transferable potentially if it's really like a customer relationship management database to other agencies throughout the city that might have similar needs of tracking requests and follow-ups and things like that.
12: Right. It's the latter. It's a really um, nice customizable system uh, that works well with um, the Microsoft platform that we use currently. Um, It's uh, fully um, customizable, and um, it, it, it does have the ability to perform those manual services that are being performed by that one FTE right now. Um, and so um, it, and and the bigger benefit is that we would have one system through which the department could manage all of its discrimination complaints uh, its disputes um, and all of our um, cases that we manage. Uh, we have um, made some. Uh, strides and some improvements over the last few months in terms of increasing the number of cases that we're actually uh, able to um, uh, take on uh, for the federal EEOC. This would allow us even greater capacity uh, to do that work, um, which is which is a great asset for Madison. Uh, if the federal EEOC is looking to us to be that primary resource.
8: That's great. If I could add just have one more follow-up. Um, It seems like, and I'm just saying this because I know IT is in the room, but that platform, I get complaints from residents and others that, you know, some agency didn't talk to the other agency about some work order that was processed that didn't have follow-up. And so that sort of a platform might be really beneficial in other agencies as well. And so it might be worth the wider discussion, if that's not already happening, and it could very well be happening, but as a city about how platforms like that could be leveraged, because that, that sort of customer relationship management is so important across all of our governmental functions.
12: Yes, that's so true and 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 with the work that civil rights does, we look out across all agencies, and it's so it's really important that we have that common denominator that we can look to to try to unify our processes across all agencies. So any software that we would um evaluate or look to implement would have citywide applicability. Mm-hmm. Thank you sure.
1: Other questions? If not, thank you very much. Thank you. The city clerk is next. I just want to do a time check. It's 525. Sunset tonight is at 620. So I'm going to take a motion at 615 uh, to recess till tomorrow.
0: I'm helping out. I'm going to talk through the budget side of the clerk's office, and the Mary Mary Beth is going to speak to the goals piece. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll actually let you start with the mission.
13: Uh, well, our mission is basically to promote the inclusion and full participation of all Madison residents in the democratic process, and for services, we just have one uh, category, and that's clerk.
0: Um, and so uh, there's only uh, one change here in terms of positions. Uh, there's a, a newly created uh, position that would assist with the alcohol, alcohol licensing position, um, and that is uh, an admin clerk, I believe. Or no, no, I'm sorry, a program? Yeah, it's an admin clerk.
13: So a license coordinator. Yep.
0: Um, And so when we look at the change table here, uh, funding for that uh, position to assist in the Uh, alcohol license review process uh, is $50,000 and then the other uh, big change within the clerk's office budget um, is an adjustment to uh, the funding for the election based off of the 2017 cycle. And so uh, the 2017 election cycle is consistent with what we saw in 2015 and so um, in terms of the funding level for that particular election, uh, it, in terms of February, uh, we will be funding that for a, a partial primary but not a full primary uh, across the board, which is consistent with prior year trends. So you see that here, the election cost reduction uh, based off of the, the planned schedule is uh, 560000 and then the funding for the new position is approximately 50000 So our goals are
13: to transition from the loss of an alcohol policy coordinator and to put the entire operator license application process through an equity lens. And then the state is going to eliminate special registration deputies next year, so it's going to be harder to register to vote if you are not computer savvy or if you uh, don't have a current address on file with a DMV with a Wisconsin license or ID. So we need to find a way to keep voter registration accessible through that change. Can I
1: questions?
0: We're, yeah, we're,
1: we're.
14: Thank you. Um So, Mary you've done some uh, really noteworthy work in terms of making it so that our electorate can vote early. uh, I was going to say often, I think out of habit. uh, that's That's not how we do that. That's not how we do that at all. Um, uh, making it so that people can vote early and vote in all types of new places. Do you have any particular hopes that that will add an efficiency to your department? Do you think that, obviously this year it's a lot of work because we're onboarding this new process of voting more places um, and training up a lot of new people on how to be able to accommodate that, but do you have hopes that it, a year or two or four from now that that will lighten the burden on your department? Uh, No. Okay.
13: Um, I I guess the way we're looking at it is that it's making voting more accessible to Madison residents. Uh, It's more work in the clerk's office than if everybody came to the clerk's office to vote absentee. But uh, from what I've been hearing, uh, as I run into people on the street, in the grocery store, uh, everywhere I go, I hear that people just love to vote at their local library.
14: That's, that's really cool to hear. Um, do you, so I asked that question with a particular uh, hope for an answer, but you can answer it in the opposite direction. Is it going to require more work for you?
13: It does require more work. What we're finding right now is that uh, from the first week of absentee voting at the libraries, uh, it took about 30 hours to process one day's worth of registrations and absentees from the remote locations uh, daily. And, of course, there are libraries that are open seven days a week. Uh, so we are far behind. And the numbers of voters casting ballots at the libraries is increasing daily. Uh, we do have some hourly employees who should start the week of the 17th. Of course, that was all in place before we had the court ruling that allowed us to uh, have absentee voting at the libraries, so that was already posted, and uh, there was no way to start that earlier. Um, so that's where we're at right now.
14: Huh. Okay. okay. Uh, do you think that? <clears throat> so obviously there weren't. Uh, uh, there was a, a mandate from the mayor. Of course, department has to not ask for anything supplemental, but. Mm-hmm. Um, we also heard from public testimony earlier, uh, which was not a surprise to those of us who who get emails from you at all hours. Uh, we heard from public testimony earlier that that you 're putting in a really extraordinary um, uh, amount of work, mm-hmm. which isn't in my view is not a reasonable ask of any city employee. Um, what is the staffing level that you feel like your department needs to be at?
13: Well, it depends on if you 're staffing for to election year, or you know, if you average it out, uh, right now everybody's working extra hours every single day. I'm doing the workload of three people, really.
14: Okay, well, I don't find that acceptable. So we need a plan for that. Thank you for your your honesty, and um, thank you for your extraordinary
5: work. Under person would.
4: Thank you, Council President Revere. Um, it's kind of uh, dovetailing off of what other chiefs just said. I kind of had this thought. This is going to start editorial. Um, just looking at the clerk's office budget, and was just astounded at, at the end product that we get from you guys for what's uh-huh. in the budget. It's absolutely incredible the amount of work you guys do, the amount of work you do individually, so I wanted to thank you. Um, can you, and then now to the question portion, can you talk a little bit about, Um, where we're at as far as poll workers, especially on campus, and potentially talk about what someone would need to do to sign up for that. I'm just asking this because the city reporter for the Badger Herald is here, and they may want to write that
2: down.
13: Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's very simple to sign up to be a poll worker. You just go to cityofmadison.com slash EO and enter your name your address where you would be willing to work, the time of day you'd be willing to work. And closer to the election, we'll have some special trainings right on campus where anybody who shows up at the training can be trained and hired on the spot and given their assignment there. So we'll let the student newspapers know that information as soon as that's scheduled.
11: Wonderful. can you talk a little bit about the need
4: um, in that regard?
13: We probably will have about 3,000 people working at the polls on November 8th, and um, you know, there, I think there's sometimes the perception that um, because a lot of people are voting absentee, and we'll probably set records for that, that um, it's going to be quiet at the polls, but every single absentee ballot that's cast needs to be processed at the polls. So we will need a lot of people at the polls, particularly on campus, where there will be a lot of Election Day registrations. And our goal is that nobody will have to wait more than 15 minutes to cast their ballot. Um, So we're hiring right now. We uh, have at least 2,400 people, I think, already signed up. But on campus, one of our goals is that um, citywide, our goal is that our polling places will reflect the community. And um, it's important to know that you don't need to be Retirement age or older to work at the polls. We'd love to have college students working at the polls on campus. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Mayor. So, Mary Beth, as you see, there are at least two members of your fan club here, and I would say all of us are members of your fan club, everyone around the table and in the room. Uh, I did want to specifically go through the excellent testimony of Kathy Fawn on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Did you receive a written copy? I did. I'm
13: sorry. I came a few minutes late. No, it's fine. You did, like you a chance, it,
5: did you have a chance to review her yes. written testimony? Mm-hmm. Could you just walk us through the cuts that um, apparently were part of your agency request to get to reach your target, and, and could you just let us know based on the executive operating budget proposal, will any of these things actually have to happen that were in your agency request several months ago?
13: That's uh, something that uh, Laura and I were just discussing. I guess uh, there was some additional funding added to our budget that I was unaware of, but to reach the target, uh, what I ended up cutting was uh, using, we tried to use an equity lens, which I think is, lot easier to use if you're adding things than if you're cutting things but through that equity lens we decided to try to protect uh, polling place staffing in april so we cut everything else we could come up with uh, including council packets uh, a lot of the printing budget which would include the handouts at election official training sessions uh, the stickers on the back of taxicabs that say that they have a permit through the city. Uh, and then uh, cut back February election official staffing, hoping that perhaps we would have not a citywide primary, but certainly if we would have a citywide primary, we'd have to ask for more funding.
5: So that list you just went through, which is which is not, you know, identical to the items in the testimony, but somewhat similar, you're saying that it's your understanding and working with the finance department that the executive operating budget would not allow you to, for example, issue taxicab
13: well, licenses? Well, in the proposal for the, for that the was vehicles. submitted, the cost we pay for those stickers was cut to meet our target.
5: I guess what I'm asking, maybe Laura, if you want to respond. Although, are you the analyst or is Car, Car, whoever wants? Could could you just reassure the board of estimates that, and our other colleagues that are here as well, that 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 it seems like there should be sufficient money for. Yeah. And I'll editorialize too. I can't help myself because I am passionate about the important work of the clerk's office. But it would be insane to, for example discontinue I voted stickers and to have Mary Beth sitting next to the mayor at every council meeting and not having someone else from her office there, et cetera, et cetera,
0: et cetera,
5: Mm -hmm. can... Any or all of you reassure us that
0: yeah.
5: those things shouldn't happen under the executive operating um, budget proposal.
0: Yeah, it it, it was certainly uh, not the intent uh, with the the base funding level that the agency started with uh, to have to put forth a, a very drastic uh, proposals, as what is outlined in that memo, um, and so uh, we we've continued to, um, Mary Beth and I have continued to work to try to get the number right um, up uh, through the executive budget and um, we may need to look at where some some dollars are and dive into uh, some of this uh, in in slightly greater detail to to make adjustments if necessary, but um, at this point uh, I believe that um, there's there's sufficient funding to maintain current services, uh, especially those that are outlined in that memo.
5: Thank you. but will help me sleep mm-hmm. better tonight. If we you, you look at page 81 of the budget book, you'll see that, that the mayor is proposing you know, well over $100,000, more than what the agency request was mm-hmm. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And, indeed, if you look back at the historical data, the city clerk's office is, you know, um, is, is, I'm not going to do all the math, but but is projected to spend many hundreds of thousands of dollars over what we have appropriated for the clerk's office. The reason I bring that to everyone's attention, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mary Beth, you know, we consider the function of your office to be so critical to our democracy that, I don't want to say we've re- issued you a blank check, but in many respects we have with your permanent salary overtime, you know, budget, at hun- you know, ballooning at hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm making this up, but I would expect with your office killing yourselves that your overt- permanent salary overtime budget is hundreds of that. We don't have that level of detail in our budget books, but your overtime must be hundreds of thousands of dollars this year in any even-numbered-year election. Uh, so I just don't want the community, but moreover you, Mary Beth, and your excellent staff, to think that we're short-changing you and short-changing our democracy in the city of Madison. Because I just that hasn't been our experience here, and I, it it pains me when you know, for example, Kathy and Paul who both testified before you arrived, but you know that that people think that that you know there might be a perception that we're not providing your office resources, um, I don't know if you want to respond to that or not, Mary well, Beth. The,
13: the initial target was based on 2015, which was a year without voter ID. Now that voter ID is in place and we have more complicated guidelines from the state than we did in 2012, it has required a lot more staff at the polls. Than uh, even we had expected in 2012, and so that's where the discrepancy comes in—that the elections next year would certainly cost a lot more than they cost in 2015.
5: I appreciate that, and there was no early voting. And Paul's testimony—I don't know if you received his written testimony or not—but his point is that we don't want to depend on library staff, even though they're such significantly lower. Order turnout in comparison in spring of odd-numbered mm-hmm. years. Uh, for example, there's no mayor on the ballot um, next spring. Uh, so so anyway, I, I want to just make sure that we get this right and don't leave you, especially with the perception that you're supposed to, you know, uh, staff the council meetings yourself, not have written material at election official training, not have those – cool I Voted stickers (laughs) purchased. But, you know, moreover that you're able to hire the election officials that you feel you competently need to have a smooth election with the turnout that you forecast.
0: And in regards to um, funding for election officials, um, overtime and election supplies, all of those exceed um, the 2015 actual amounts. um, And... You know we're we're hopeful and we'll continue to uh, work uh, through the best cost estimation to ensure that that's um, that's adequate staffing uh, for, for for voter ID needs uh, as the the cycle for 2017 plays out.
5: Thank you. That's very reassuring, Laura. And the other thing I just want to ask, and I'll yield, and I won't try not to be overly repetitive, but could could someone explain why? you were never able why the clerk's office was never able to hire the 0.5 fte that has gone unfilled in the office is that like i guess i'll ask you first mary beth if you could respond to that were you instructed that for example your overtime is so significantly over budget we you you shouldn't fill that position because of salary savings or do you Mm -hmm. think finding a part-time person just wasn't
13: isn't feasible, or We had asked in a previous budget to turn that into a full-time position, and then my understanding in talking to Mark Wolf was that that was part of what was being used to create the alcohol license coordinator position.
5: Am I correct, though, Laura, in the mayor's proposal? There would be a brand-new 1.0 FTE alcohol that's coordinator, yep, and the .5 FTE is still fully funded yep. in next year's proposal by the mayor? That is correct. So Mary Beth would be able to hire one-and-a-half new staff?
0: From, from uh, my perspective in, in the budget office, yes, that would be fine.
5: And, and she could even work with HR, to, an HR director sitting here, could even start a hiring process for the .5. I mean, I guess you don't have any time because you're so busy measuring the election, <laughs> Mary Beth. But, but if you had the time, you could, we could even advertise for that now, could we not? Or,
0: uh, from a financial perspective, yes, that would be allowable.
5: Thank you. And in closing it, we do very much appreciate all the hard work you and your office does. It's invaluable.
6: Thank you.
8: We
5: I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Alderman Rommel.
9: You can hear. So thank you, Mary Beth, because I've been hearing from you at the odd hours where you've informed several elders of your hours, at which I did not realize until last week. And I, I, I feel so I feel like I'm struggling with that. I mean, I appreciate that you're doing this, but I just think it's very sustainable. And, and it really troubles me that that, that this is happening. And, and maybe I'm just getting old, but, you know, people used to just vote on freaking election day. And now it's like <laughs> every single day you can come vote. And But how are we going to make that possible? I mean, I don't think when we, like, talked about doing that libraries, did we really think it through? How, did, how is that supposed to work with, you know, the staff that's existing and the volunteer Process and you know, you know, you sometimes will like email Mary Beth say, oh, I'm out training people. She's always training people. I mean, it's awesome. Everyone I hear from just think you're awesome, so we know you're awesome. And I just wanted to say that I just kind of question, like, well, should voting just be everywhere? Like, I joke now, I can go on election day to like one of the higher turnout polls and there will be no lines because everyone freaking already voted. And I just think that's just weird. Weird. That's just my personal opinion, and maybe everyone thinks we're exercising our constitutional rights now that we're well, we got them. And so, you know, I'm probably some argument why it's all good, but I just think it's weird. So, having gone on my screed, um, I just want to talk some more about um, the. Uh, alcohol position because at some point you know I would say what's going on and be like we're busy doing elections so to me uh, every single like month I need to know something about an alcohol license and I think we're getting a lot better about notifying alders you know something's coming but just I just sometimes still feel that disconnect I often feel and partly because I'm busy and not on top of it as much as others might be. So I'm really excited for this position. So I just want you to know that. Really excited. And, and, and then when you talked about the additional support in one of the things, you said to ARC and Police Department, you didn't have Alder. So I would just point that out, that we are also who you're helping to support with this position. And then I guess I do have a question for you. I'm just curious how, you know, I mean, I think I know some of the answer, but the equity lens apply to operator license. Is that mostly alcohol we're talking to about? Is that, like, making sure there's language services, that kind of thing? What what are some of the
13: ideas? So an operator license is a bartender license, but it has that strange name, operator. And it's for the entire process from the application and what are we asking for on the application. Uh, For example, this past year we noticed that the application has always asked, are you a U.S. citizen? And we asked the police department, is that anything that's relevant to the background check? They said no, so we took that off. So we're wondering how many other parts of that process are just there because they have always, always been there but might be creating some inequities.
9: Thank
6: you thank you I 'll make this brief because uh, my colleagues have already said all the accolades that we could say. Um, I want to go back to the sustainability and equity. I thought that the equity lens was making sure that your, um, everyone has an opportunity to cast their votes, and that's why you're expanding the the number of voting opportunities at the library and all of that. So I thought that that was the connector for the equity lens as well. Was that? Not we,
13: would, we would like to end up using the equity lens on everything that we do.
6: Okay. Um, and my um, uh, my next question and and uh, Alder might have answered it, but it was so complex I didn't understand it. Um, so the cross the board. um, reductions that your department did across the board. Um, the, The reestablishment of that cut, would that have put you or your department at a level where you did not have to do all of these hours and all these overtimes? Would that have significantly made a difference? Part
13: of the reason there are so many hours required right now is the voter ID requirement, and all the follow-up that's required with that. So, for example, when we receive an absentee request, we're required by state law to uh, issue that absentee within 24 hours. And every time you turn around, there are 50 more requests in the voting inbox. Uh, But then, in addition to that, uh, the voter has to have an ID on file with us to be able to issue the absentee, and many do not submit an ID or they submit a selfie or they submit an ID that isn't acceptable under state law. So there's a lot of follow-up that's required that um, we had no experience in the past knowing how much time that takes. So, for example, right now there are 355 absentee requests that we are just sitting on waiting for the voter to get back to us with their acceptable photo ID before we can even issue that absentee
6: ballot. So because of this um, circumstance with the, that, that you're going through, the cross-the-board budget cut for your department did not help to navigate and be responsive to what you didn't project was going to happen. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is that for your department, the cross-the-board cut, um, Can I just assisted. interject?
11: There, there is no across-the-board budget cut. So when we're talking about 2016, the year we're in right now, and the hours that Mary Beth and the staff are putting in, that is all going to be funded in a year-end appropriation. The council has decided to proceed with expansion of early voting uh, at libraries. That's required additional overtime hours by Mary Beth, the staff staff in the finance department that provide assistance, to the clerk's office that will all be funded um, by, you know, from the city's general fund. So there, this isn't caused by any sort of cut or anything like that. When we're talking about the 2017 budget, all we're doing is rebasing the clerk's budget for the fact that it's a lower number of elections in 2017. It's not a presidential election year, there's no mayoral race. And the question is, what's the impact going to be of the various, I guess, voting law court decisions and things like that, decisions on will the early voting continue, at what level, all that needs to be sort of established. We've tried to establish the budget and the executive budget, and there will be an effort to true that up even more if we need to. So I guess I just want to dispel this perspective. There's no across-the-board cut. And the city will respond to what's necessary. Now the issue of workload is a separate one and I think that's a that's a one that needs to really be talked about. But that's not a budget issue, that's an issue around are there enough staff, how's the overtime managed versus permanent staff? How do you do those sorts of things? I think Mary Best is trying to respond to what we've seen probably over the last couple months of it's you know, a policy decision to proceed with Expansion of voting and, and trying to fill those gaps as much as possible with hours of existing staff. Am I characterizing that correctly? That's right.
13: mm-hmm.
5: And if I could interject with, for Dave for a Thank second, you. please. Also, I don't know if all alders are aware that you have three full time finance, finance department staff, the so called A team, right. administrative team that aren't they working pretty much exclusively
11: they are in the clerk's
5: office and pretty pretty have much been for full time with
11: the clerk. Um, and we're, I think, Ramped up earlier because of the um, the early voting uh, decision, and they're helping with planning the all the issues around the voting in the libraries and, and scheduling election yep. officials. Yep. And that overtime is charged to the clerk's budget, and then we'll we'll fund that overtime costs, and we'll have to adjust for that in the year-end appropriation.
6: I appreciate you going through that very clearly because I think that that was what you were saying, but I couldn't get it as clear as that because we really did need, me- I really did no, need. That was articulated, I- Yeah, so I appreciate that because that was very clear because the um, after hearing the public statement, it appeared that right. there was a cut. So thank you very much for clarifying that. That was You're the welcome. Need.
1: Okay. Let me, let me just add a couple of thoughts to this. First of all, Alderman Rummel made the observation that when we decided to expand voting to the library to the libraries it was not well thought out. And it wasn't, because we did not um, proceed to take into account the costs. Now, let me just go back. In every four year sequence, the budgeting for the clerk's office based on elections differs. Uh-huh. A presidential year is the most expensive. A odd year where there is no mayor's race and only city council races is the cheapest. And then we've got the odd year where there is the mayor's race, and then we've got the even year where there's state elections but not presidential. So what we do, and you'll go back 40 years you'll see a rotation every four years through that cycle based on the number of elections. So what we're doing is we're now going from an election year into a presidential election year into a year where there is uh, local council races, no mayor's race, but rather than being able to flow into it as we have normally, we've got a number of variables which we've never before measured. We've got the impact of voter ID which is not only an impediment to the voter but is also an impediment to our smoothly administering an election That it adding a great deal of expense and I think I want to make it very clear to the state legislature at this moment that once again they're meddling uh, in a a false way of being uh, supposedly a state government that allows decisions at the local level and they are trying to reduce the cost of government is just phony. Um, They've created a cumbersome bureaucracy that was unnecessary. So we've got that variable... Then we've got the variable of more people participating in uh, early voting, absentee ballots. And then we've got uh, the facilitation of adding more stations, uh, the libraries, for absentee balloting. All of which is good, uh, at least the changes we are making at the local level. Because we are enhancing accessibility to the vote, but is leaving us in a situation where we're finding out the costs as we go, and adjustments will be made um, as as we we learn from this experience. So, further clerks' issues, Alderjeks.
14: Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Mayor Beth, you had mentioned, um, that, you know, another state law is going to change next year. That's getting rid of, uh, special deputies and, you know, presuming the state moves fast enough to build a website. Um, they'll have a new online voter registration, uh, process. Are we currently anticipating the impacts of that? Uh, do you, I mean, I, I know that We we don't know exactly what that will do to you, but Voter ID did a thing. how, How do we anticipate how that might affect your workload?
13: What we're waiting for is guidance from the state on how we can register voters outside of the online system. And they have been very quiet about that. As soon as we have some guidance, we can figure out how voter education ambassadors could help get people registered to vote uh, but as we wait, uh, all we can do is guess what will be allowed by the state next year.
14: Okay. Um, that's good. Thank you. Uh, a couple of comments. I'm sorry to hear that the mayor felt that the um, early voting wasn't well thought out. As a lead sponsor, I presumed that you would have um, had greater confidence in that.
1: Um, uh, i want to fight about everything. No, sir. Okay, I mean, you, go ahead. You had the floor.
14: Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you for making the comments to the state legislature that their, uh, that their plan is um, not only st- strategically disenfranchising individuals, but it's systemically um, hurting municipalities uh, and making it more difficult for us to do our work. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, that's, a, that's a really valid point. That's all.
1: Let me just be clear. I have absolutely no regrets about our decision. The problem is we were going into uncharted water in a very fast moving stream. We knew what we wanted to accomplish in terms of voter accessibility, and we did not have all the resources to figure this thing out. That makes sense. We did. Hey, any other questions? Thank you very much, Mary Beth.
6: Thank you.
1: Um, Dave, I hate to do this to you. I'm looking at the uh, time here. We have 16 minutes left. I believe that EAP is going to be very short. I don't want to request Teresa to come back tomorrow. There's no objection. Let's take up... Uh, Teresa Martinez's presentation I can tell the rest of you that you will be at the front of the agenda tomorrow night there's no way we're going to get past uh, Teresa uh, EAP and the treasurer's office
15: what's that Hi, I'm Teresa Martinez, and I'm the Employee Assistance Program Administrator um, for the City of Madison, but I'd like to clarify that while my title is Administrator, I also provide uh, direct services through the program that include counseling, uh, management consultation, critical incident response. Um, My um, colleague, co-worker here is Sherry Amos. She's our uh, Program Assistant Confidential and Budget Contact uh, probably a little bit of moral support, too. And, uh, um, and I'm very happy to be here and presenting our 2017 operating budget as the, as the EAP office, which is um, different um, starting in 2016. Uh, our um, mission and services uh, have not changed. Uh, the mission of the, the program is to provide 24-hour services. And let me just stop there to explain um, to make it clear that we have something called an EAP dual model, which means that we have, an, we have internal professional staff, as well as we contract with an external EAP provider to provide the what you see there—the 24-hour uh, services of counseling, management consultation. We refer to resources uh, as appropriate, and um, we provide trauma response for our um, city staff and family members. We address both work and personal problems. The services are free. It's a free benefit for our city staff and family, um, as well as our retirees can access the program. And uh, we believe, as I am assuming all of you also believe, that our our staff are our most important assets in in carrying out the services for the city. And we're especially concerned with their health and their overall well-being because that is also a... um, Well, it's a cost-effective issue. We also have to think about we need healthy staff to deliver services, and and for staff not to be healthy um, can create numerous costs, tangible and and intangible. Um, So we're committed to providing confidential, professional-level services designed to help employees to prevent or resolve uh, problems that could be happening in, in their personal life or their Um, their work life our services are EAP services however that also includes the trauma response and that's a large part of what we do is trauma response which is um, I guess why I want to make sure to point that out our um, our budget uh, is a it's a slight increase from uh, 2016 and and and, and I believe that that really is reflected by the fact that we've had 10 months to kind of see what our costs are going to be to be a, an independent uh, EAP office, and especially now that we're a fully staffed EAP office and the cost to not only support our, our um our our operations and our staff, but also our external contract costs. Uh, The positions have not changed. We have three full-time positions, EAP Administrator, uh, EAP Specialist, and Program Assistant Sherry, and... um, then in terms of changes, uh, the changes are slight. The changes that you see, I think, are probably more realistically uh, distributed throughout our budget. It's more accurately reflective of what the operating costs are as a um, standalone alone AP office. And like I said before, um, being fully staffed now, um, we went some time without being fully staffed. Um, so we have a much better idea now of what our costs are going to be, having all three positions. And the primary budget highlight is that um, it now fully funds the EAP service provider contract to reflect current trends. Um, And also, I guess, just to give you a sense of what that means, the EAP service provider, the contract, they're formally called IMPACT. They've changed their name recently to FEI. They provide very similar services to what we do internally. However, we then need to contract for some specialized services, like we have a trauma team that we contract with through them so that we can get people in quickly who've experienced trauma at work. Um, we, con- we contract for couple counseling through the external EAP provider because the insurance plans don't cover that. We also contract for um, some organizational services like conflict mediation and and, uh, workgroup intervention. And the reason we do that is that sometimes when you're doing a workgroup intervention and conflict mediation, if the internal EAP staff come in, they may not be, uh, well, either perceived as being neutral or we may already be involved in the issue in some way. So our agency goals, uh, primary goal is to improve service through collaboration, and we do that by collaborating with other city agencies the HMOs, the insurance providers, as I mentioned before, and our external EAP provider to improve service delivery but also to um, meet the specific needs that we have in the EAP uh, for our city staff. Our 2017 planned initiatives and primary projects are to develop suicide prevention programming and a peer support team for the Madison Fire Department. It's the first time that our fire department has had those specific programs and services in its history, And we have that in place, and it's been in place with the Madison Police Department for the past eight years, so we wanted to be able to provide them with um, equitable services to what we're providing for the police department. We will be conducting uh, outreach to employees, family members, and significant others, uh, (coughs) and we will now have the means to do that by expanding our use of electronic communication for prevention-focused education. Those two kind of go together. (coughs) <coughs> our goal is to improve our uh, collection of utilization data and be able to track trends and uh, have a more consistent system in place for client follow-up with um, EAP industry-specific software. We, in fact, that went live today. Um, we are in training all day today for that, so that's now in place. Um, the, goal, the other goal of that is to become um, more paperless and to improve uh, privacy and confidentiality of, of the information that we house. And then at the mayor's request to serve on uh, a, a community trauma response team to look at resources uh, in both small uh, and potentially large-scale events that could impact our, our city staff our city employees, but also our community. And we're doing that by collaborating with uh, Dane County Emergency Management and some of the other community service providers that we would, that we would need in the case of an event like that.
5: You complete Teresa. Great, thank you very much. Questions of Teresa, multi-person chiefs. Thank you. <coughs> um, uh, you
14: mentioned first of all, um, uh, it's it's fun to be able to brag on departments that yeah. do really good work, and <laughs> yours is such that I never get to know what you do, um, but I'm sure you do very good work. Uh, you mentioned trauma several times. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just? A, Briefly, because I know we only have a few minutes. Can you sure. describe sort of the range of trauma that one might experience in the workplace? Sure. From the high end
15: to the low end? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's immediately um, obvious is the work of our um, police and fire departments. Uh-huh. Uh, our medics, on a regular basis, have exposure to people on their absolutely worst day, and they have a, um, a, a great dose of it. They, they um, have a lot of what, what we call in our profession um, cumulative stress and exposure to trauma, so what we really look at is the impact of vicarious trauma on our our first responders. And uh, in addition, though, it isn't always just first responders. Our police and our medics who are responding to, um, oh, my goodness, I mean, it could be anything from an officer-involved shooting to a, you know, a traumatic event involving children and families. Um, but we also then have other um, personnel in the city who encounter trauma. We have Madison Metro bus drivers who have had events that have been traumatic. They've been assaulted by passengers. We have uh, parks employees who find some pretty disturbing things that happen in Madison Parks. And so it could be any city. And then let me also mention, because we've done quite a bit of work with this group, the employees who staff the, the booths at the parking ramps. We have assaults we have suicides that happen off our parking ramps so our goal is to use the trauma resources that we have in place to to really connect with people immediately after something like this has happened and get them the kind of trauma services that they need to to mitigate longer term post-traumatic stress symptoms that could potentially could potentially happen the sooner you intervene the sooner you provide timely services for people um, the greater the uh, possibilities of preventing those longer term uh, disorders potentially thank you uh, if I can follow up
14: briefly. Uh, <clears throat> everything that you described was um, really quite dramatic um, and also public facing so in each of those scenarios I, at least my assumption is someone's that a city employee is interacting with a member of the public. Um, uh, would you be able to support, uh, provide support if someone was received trauma um, uh, with, 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 just within an employee relationship?
15: Yes, absolutely. We are responsible for um, making sure that the workplace violence policy is current and relevant. Um, I provide the training along with the crime prevention officer for for workplace violence prevention and response in the city. So, yes, it's uh, trauma that could be potentially incurred both internal and, and externally.
14: And we know that the scale of, of um, trauma, uh, you know, it can obviously be physical and very violent, but it can also be
15: mm-hmm.
14: verbal and, and yes. emotional, prone to mm-hmm. outbursts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that the sort of thing that you can support if someone you know, yes, works for someone like that? Yes, mm-hmm.
13: absolutely.
14: Okay.
5: That's good to know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Further questions?
8: person, Hall. Thank you, Sir President. So, directing your attention um, to your service description, I was drawn to the line um, expanding use of electronic communication for prevention-focused and education and I was mm-hmm. wondering what is your approach to prevention focused education as we talked a little bit about trauma obviously mm-hmm. um, those things don't necessarily go together so can you tell me what that means to you and, and sure. how you go about doing that
15: well the electronic means that we're referring to is that we're going to be expanding our website and um, with the hopes that we can have uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted, with the hopes, <laughs> with the hopes that we can um, allow greater access for family members to the information on the website as well as um, helping to market the website of our external EAP provider, which is very extensive. In terms of prevention-focused education, uh, we do a lot of training. And um, uh, through three different classes that are taught in the recruit academies for both fire and police around suicide prevention, post-traumatic stress, those kinds of things, Uh, we like to get out as much as we can with the other agencies as well in teaching classes like uh, coping with change and transition in the workplace, managing employees through change and transition, workplace culture and civility, stress management, I mean, the list goes on and on. So trying to get there, connect with people, get them information before... The problem rises to a level of crisis and helping them to understand what the resources are so that they can address the issues earlier on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Uh-huh. We have one person, McKinney. Um,
6: and my statement is, is that um, if you've not visited the site where the offices are located, I invite you to do that because it is absolutely an amazing place or if you experience any of those things that Teresa has spoken about, when you walk into the office, you realize that you're in a safe place, and that is critically important. So I really thank uh, you for moving um, that department outside of the city government walls, but I invite you to really go by and take a look at that space.
15: Thank you. We're having an, an upcoming open house. Uh, we will. Our, our newsletter will be coming out soon through our improved uh, uh, use of electronic communication, and, uh, and that will announce our um, upcoming open house. And so, I really do hope you'll you'll be able to attend. Come by.
5: Do you know the date yet,
15: Sherry? Uh,
0: November sure. 14th. Thank you.
5: November 14th. What times? Uh,
0: 10 a.m. to 2 p.m.
5: 10 to 2 on the 14th. And you're at the Village Unpark, Park, as mm-hmm. we all know. Thank you. All the person, Rommel? Um,
9: hopefully no one has much more to say. It's
5: oh, can I, ask, can I you even have a further question of Teresa and Sherry? Can I ask a very quick question? Could And, and if and if you can't answer it in a sentence or two, then you can talk to me after the meeting. Okay. On page 113 of the budget book, that you're under purchase services, there's quite a decrease from what your projection yes. is this year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for next year. Yes. Can you just explain
15: that thing? Absolutely. I think Laura wants to. Did you wave at me? Well, I was just
0: going to say I'm happy.
15: No, go ahead. Sure. Be my guest.
0: So um, when we built the um, budget for employee assistance last year, uh, we were really uncertain about um, how the budget was going to break down of um, supplies versus purchase services. And if you'll recall, earlier in the year, we did an amendment um, from the contingent reserve to increase appropriation. Um, And so that line item in the projected column was sort of our placeholder for getting everything trued up. And then um, they did a tremendous job the 2017 budget bill to to break that amount out uh, across the various purchase service and supply lines consistent with their spending plan for next year.
5: Makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Teresa and Sherry. Thanks, Thank very, much. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. All so the much. Do we need Rommel? to
9: move referral of the Board of Estimates Re- now, tomorrow. We could
5: just. We need a motion to please recess our meeting the until Board of Estimates tomorrow Estimates. at 6.30 p.m.
9: Tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Is
5: there a second? Moved and seconded to recess our meeting until tomorrow at 6:30 p.m. Those in favor will say aye. Aye.
6: Opposed
5: aye. no. Motion we'll it. No. It's the same no, thing. <laughs>
9: okay, so whatever. we we stand in recess until 6:30 tomorrow
5: evening. Thank that was you for my
8: job. You your job. job. Good job. And our
5: apologies, Treasurer Gwenda. Okay. Our apologies, Dave. Thank you for coming.